this summer, uh, we started a new series in 1 Peter. Um, we're actually going to take a break from that today. And I'm going to share some stuff with you um, about kind of some future uh, endeavors we're going to be involved in as a church, what that's going to look like, and what God might be calling you to in that. Um, so I was really glad that um, we just sang that song and, and Jake shared that passage from Revelation because I think it's really important for us to remember who this God is that we're worshiping and serving. That right now, as we're here at Wellspring Church in St. Joe, in heaven, tens and tens and thousands of angels are surrounding the throne. And constantly singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And we get to kind of join in that chorus when we're here singing. We're just echoing what's already being done, not only in heaven, but around the world. And it's that God that's being worshipped that intensely right now that, that is speaking to us this morning. And I want you to open your, your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58, <clears throat> page 673 in your pew Bibles. Isaiah 58. And this passage is talking about, it's it's God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And it's talking about fasting. And that's not a a phrase or a a discipline, a spiritual discipline that that many of us engage in very often here in the United States. I'm sure most of you are familiar with what fasting is. So I want you to, to just maybe in your, in your mind as we read through this, because you're going to hear the word fasting a lot, you could sub, uh, substitute the word worship for fasting, and you're going to get the same basically experience or meaning of what God is trying to say here, okay? So every time you hear that word fasting, just think of it in terms of worship, all right? So Isaiah 58 verse 1 says this, Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Okay, so just in that passage, just substituting in that word worship, you cannot worship as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen Only a day for people to humble themselves? It is only for bowing one's head? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry? And to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, 
when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. So what is God saying here? To the nation of Israel, fairly uh, to us this morning as well. What is he saying in that passage? What's the gist? There'll be there'll be light in the darkness. Okay. What else? Eric, you want to answer? <laughs> Okay. 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 You're asking for a lot of things, but you're not really pursuing it through your actions. What else? What's the heart of what he's trying to say? It's not like these people aren't fasting, worshiping, going to church, doing the right things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. He says we have responsibility to care for the vulnerable. What else? Yeah. Um, check your heart in the midst of everything you do to try to worship God and to try to do for God. Check your heart. Okay. What do you mean by that? Okay. He's saying check your heart, make sure that your motivation's right for why you're worshiping, what you're doing. What else? God's not happy. Right? Did you pick up on this? <laughs> With his people, Israel. All right? What's bugging him? He what's what? He wants them to come together. Okay. What else? What kind of worship does he want? What? I'm sorry, where are we at? Who's answering? Oh, up there. There you go. I'm like, where is this voice coming from? Yes. Okay. 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 
Okay, good. Yeah, it's not just once a week, he says, right? Being consistent. Yes. Well, the balcony. Look at you guys. Okay, being sincere. Yes. Yes. Okay. You know, they just wanted to have it look like a political meeting. <clears throat> we, we do these great things. We have these great songs played at church services at church times. We're going to try to be in control over the top. We're going to try to run the church for our own motives. And that's because of fights and people and oppress people. Okay. Right. Yeah. Pushing our own agenda, trying to control things, definitely. What does it say about the kind of fast that God desires? The kind of worship that he desires? Verse 6, verse 7, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. He says, guys, the kind of worship I want is I want you to feed the hungry. I want you to care for the poor. I want you to loose the chains of injustice, Right? I want you to provide freedom for the captives. All those things. That is what's near and dear to him. He's saying to them, you can fast all you want. You can come to church. You can do all that stuff. If you are not doing these things, I don't want your worship. I don't want it. He's a lot more direct than some other, some other prophets as well. But we'll leave it at that. But he also has some really amazing promises. He says, if you do these things... If you worship, if you fast in the way in which I want you to, he says, man, there's all kinds of things that I'd be more than happy to do for you, right? What are some of the promises he has for those who care for the vulnerable? He says, your light will shine like the dawn. What else does he say? Do what? Your healing will quickly appear. Good. He says, then you'll call on me and I'll answer you. Like, I'm more than ready to answer your prayer, but you got to be doing the things, you got to be worshiping in the way that's in a way that's going to satisfy some of the things that I want to see happen in this world, right? So, <clears throat> so I have to confess to you guys that I, I can get a little bit restless, a little bit, uh, I don't want to use the word bored, but... <laughs> Just with the routine of just doing church, you know, putting on another service, some more songs, another topic to sing, coming here on Sunday morning, it can, it can get a little bit stale for me sometimes, honestly. And, and I'm always kind of living in this tension. Um, you know, the point of getting here together on Sundays is one is to, you know, make sure that we're remembering who God is what he's done for us, giving him the worship and the praise that he deserves. But another piece of that is it should be a celebration of all the things that he's done in us and through us throughout that week. Like we should be coming together after a week of serving and loving people and then come together, all of us having done that, and then worship the God 
who you know, made all of that possible, who used us to meet people's needs, who, who did things in our life, used other people to care for us, and we're giving back to him praise for those things. And when we don't, if we're not actively engaged in those things, our worship is just a little bit hollow. And, and I feel this tension because I know what's important to God. He does not want our church service. He doesn't need our songs and our sermons if we are not actively engaged in the hearts of those who are vulnerable in this world. He doesn't need it. He doesn't want it. So today I want to share with you a couple things on the horizon for us as a church um, in caring for the vulnerable. And uh, go ahead and put up the the first logo there. So we've talked about the Global Orphan Project quite a bit um, in the last year or two. And it's a ministry that's uh, headquartered down in Kansas City. And we began a conversation with them about three years ago. And when Justin and I first went down and met with them, we were really asking them about the stuff they're doing in Haiti. And um, the guy that we met with that day was like, what are you doing for orphans in your own community, in your neighborhood, around your church? And I was like, well, you know, we're doing a few things. We'd like to do some more. And so they've kind of partnered with us and walked with us the last couple of years, especially in helping us get stuff set up at the guest house. And they financially contributed to us helping to buy that house. Um, but they've, it's, been, it's been a great partnership, and they've really stretched us and opened our eyes to a lot of things. Um, in the meantime, while that's kind of been going on and we've been busy up, up the street, as an organization, they've been doing some soul-searching too, and they've been looking at ways to be effective on the domestic side in the United States at caring for vulnerable families. And one of the things that happened is they started this thing called the Care Portal, and about two, two and a half years ago, they started looking around the country for examples of churches that were engaged with state agencies, a children's division in particular. And they came across this pastor in Texas who was doing a really good job of partnering with and making connections with the children's division workers in, in the state of Texas. And in his own church, he, he got like I want to say like 60 families that went through foster care licensing in his church alone. Um, to begin to address the need just for more foster families in the state of Texas. And so as Go Project uh, kind of entered into that conversation in Texas, one of the things that came out of that conversation was this need for some technology that would help communicate uh, so the children's division workers could communicate with the church, here's a need in your community that you could help us do something about. And so Go Project got a couple of uh, techies together and they created this software called Care Portal. And um, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it, but first I just want you to watch a video that kind of explains this is how this works. So go ahead and roll that.
see, before there was government uh, in the United States, the church was the children's division. And we've abdicated that responsibility uh, back to them. And uh, in, in movements all across the country, God is saying back to the church, hey, that's your responsibility. Uh, you're to care for those people. And uh, so these past couple of months, I've been meeting with um, the Children's Division people in Andrew and Buchanan counties, the Fifth Circuit of Missouri, and uh, connecting with several of my pastor friends here in St. Joe um, to get them signed up for the care portal. And here in a little over a month, on August 10th, Care Portal will be live in Buchanan County. And what that'll mean for you is that um, when a need comes across uh, a a children's division worker uh, for a family that's in need, and that can be all kinds of different things. It could be uh, a foster family that that, that has a need. It could be a a family that's kind of in crisis, that's at risk of losing their children, that that has a need that that if we can just get this need taken care of, it's going to help them stay together. It could be um, a grandparent, an aunt, uncle that are taking in kids that have been taken away from the parents, and they're trying to do their part in keeping those kids in the family that need beds or cribs or whatever it might be. That email will be sent out to the point person at Wellspring, which is Sam Donahue. Sam Donahue will then send an email out to our congregation. So if you're not on our email list and you want to be, make sure you fill this out and put it in our offering box back there. But all of you guys will get an email, and so will the other seven or so churches right now that are involved in St. Joe. And somebody, hopefully, in one of those congregations will say, hey, yeah, I can take care of that, or maybe me and a couple families, or whatever. And so you'll send that message back to Sam. Sam will say to the children's division worker, hey, we've got somebody from our church that can provide for that need. That children's division worker will call you and will say, hey, you know, here's the address, here's the name of the person, Um, go for it. And you'll personally go to that person's home and meet that person and set that bed up and, um, and who knows what God will do in that conversation. Um, and that's the hope, is as you saw that grid, things will kind of progress from one tier to the next um, in terms of, of involvement. And so um, we're doing a lot of these things already. Um, and really receiving that email is just a small part of what the Care Portal vision is all about. You guys came in today. Uh, a lot of you guys got this little brochure right here, and it has that grid that was just put up there. Okay, this kind of explains the depth of, of how you can be engaged in this. And we're doing a lot of those things already. You know, physical needs would be a tier one. That would be responding to that email, providing things for people, physical things. Tier two is relational. That's a lot of what we're doing already at Edison at the guest house. Um, I'll tell you about some other ways of, that we're engaging with folks as well. Tier three would be family, bringing people home, adopting a kid, fostering a kid, um, taking a, a kid that's just transitioned out into your home as well. So um, I want to show you just a, another short video of a pastor and his wife in Kansas City that their church signed up for Care Portal. They responded to a need and then where that led to relationally with uh, a person who had a need in their community. So.
So that was an example of a, um, a tier two engagement um, uh, in the transition realm. So that was a girl that had aged out of foster care and was now out on her own with, with the child, um, trying to take two jobs and, and, and do life. And that family was able to enter into that story with her. And the job of the children's division here in Buchanan County will be to vet those needs, which means they know the families that are abusing the systems, that are asking a million different people for stuff. And so they're only going to bring through like, hey, this is a legitimate need. And we've, we've checked in with other agencies. We've seen where they've gone to try to find help. And, and this is something that's, that's a critical thing that, that the church can provide. And so um, that's our hope is that as you engage um, in this, as we do as a church, that the connections are going to be made and you're going to get into the door of homes and in front of people um, in need that you wouldn't just sitting in church every week or going around St. Joe doing what you do, (laughs) Um, that you're going to be giving the opportunity to come face to face with some different people. And a couple different ways that we're going to connect as a church on level two and three here in the next uh, few months, besides for what we're doing at Guest House in Edison already, is that uh, we're going to be hosting Strengthening Families again this fall. Strengthening Families is a class that uh, is a collaborative effort between uh, the church and the state. The state identifies some families who um, are at risk of having their their kids potentially taken away. And basically, Strengthening Families is a, a parenting skills class um, to help train these parents on how to be parents. A lot of them haven't grown up in very good settings to, 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 where they've learned those things. And so those families come together. We're going to be hosting here at Wellspring for 14 weeks in the fall. And um, so we'll be partnering with other churches. We'll provide a meal for those folks every week. Um, so we need people here from our congregation to come, to serve, to maybe sit down and just have dinner with those families and just get to know them. Um, when we finished it last year, one of the requests they had was, we wanted to keep going. Like they wanted a support group um, because they were really trying to change and really trying to apply these things and wanting to be better parents and wanting to keep their families together. And so that's going to be an opportunity where some of you guys could serve if you'd like to. We're also going to be um, having a foster care meeting for Buchanan County September 20th. There's an organization that licenses with the state to train families for foster care. And um, so that's going to be a class where you can get certified this fall, and I'm going to be talking more about that. And here's my goal as I sat down with um, the director of the Children's Division for Buchanan County, and I got educated on what, is, what do things look like here. And, and, and he said that there's about 20 more kids in the system right now than there are foster families that are licensed in Buchanan County. So a lot of those kids, when they can't find a home here, they're shipped off to families in Kansas City and other areas around here. So not only are they out of their home, but now they're out of their school, they've lost their friends, their community that they're familiar with. And so my goal for us as as St. Joe and as the churches, my pastor friends that I'm talking to, is this, is that there would be more families in Buchanan County waiting on children than children waiting on families. Okay, so we're going to knock that out uh, before Christmas, and we're going to make sure those folks know, hey, we're, we're going to have enough families to care for these kids so they can stay right here in St. Joe. And if they, you come into, if the child comes into your home, they can stay at the public school that they're at. School district has permission for you to do that. So we're going to do that whether you know it or not. So um, might have more people around the Christmas tree. This will be exciting. Um, but the care portal has been on the radar for a while, and it's just been a matter of developing relationships, and that's been fun to talk with the Children's Division folks and, and kind of get all of this worked out um, and get ready for launch. Um, but that's something that we're doing locally. 
Um, but there's been something else that God's been laying on my heart lately um, that, that we're trying to figure out as a leadership, as a board, what to do with it. Um, and I don't know if you keep up on the news very much, but in the last couple of years in particular, there's this growing refugee crisis in our world. And um, you've heard probably stories specifically about refugees getting in boats and trying to go from the Middle East and North Africa to Europe. And uh, they're crowded into these boats, and there's been a lot of them that have capsized and drowned, or just it's just a faulty boat that some smuggler sold them, and um, literally hundreds of people are, are drowning at sea. Or they're arriving in Europe and to countries that don't want them, living in these refugee camps, and it's just been uh, brutal. You can show some of the, the pictures of these um, ships, what it looks like. Uh, for these uh, folks to be crammed into these places. Um, and Europe has been inundated with refugees seeking asylum. It's a huge, huge crisis. And so this is the last video, but it's about two minutes long. I want to try to give you a, a little bit of an image of what it's like to be on that boat and what the Coast Guard um, in, in those European countries is dealing with. So go ahead and roll that time. About two weeks ago, um, I saw a couple of uh, articles come across on, uh, on Twitter, a relevant magazine um, articles that kind of caught my attention. Um, and so, and the first one was just kind of some statistics and some numbers. And so I want to put these up on the slide. Uh, by the end of 2015, there were 65.3 million displaced persons in the world. 
that's, that's bigger than the population of uh, California, Texas, and Florida combined of people that have been you know, forced out of their homes, some of them displaced within their own country, some of them forced to go into neighboring countries, into refugee camps and countries that don't want them there. It's, it's the largest amount of refugees the world has known ever. It's at its height right now. And what that equates to is one in every 113 people in the world are displaced, or 24 new refugees every minute. And most alarming in that is, is of those 65 million, half of those are children. So that news alone, the numbers are disturbing enough. Um, then a couple days later, uh, an article appeared about a crisis in Iraq. Uh, maybe you heard about this in, in the city of Fallujah, which was uh, ISIS-occupied um, for a, a couple of years. The Iraqi military was trying to push them out. Um, the folks that have been kind of trapped in that city for the last couple of years have already endured some pretty significant hardship as supplies and stuff into the town have been cut off to kind of try to squeeze ISIS out. So all the, the, the citizens of that community have suffered you know, water, uh, lack of food, and lack of medical attention, all those things. Now with these battles kind of ranging around them, over a three-day period, 86,000 people left that town and went out into the desert. And to try to imagine what that would be like, there's like 75,000 people in St. Joe, okay? So maybe tack on Savannah and maybe we're getting close, okay? Could you imagine if the whole population of our city all of a sudden got up, took whatever stuff they had and started walking north, except instead of going out into farmland, you were just going out into desert. And we were just all out there hoping that somebody would be there to take care of us at the time. So the results of that mass exodus in such a short amount of time overwhelmed aid workers and created this horrific scene of human suffering. You can see some of the slides from things that were going on there last week. And they quoted this guy. um, His name's Jeremy Courtney. He works for this organization called Preemptive Love. And it says uh, he works the, to help the people of Iraq with medical humanitarian needs. He's posted an urgent message, this was last week, to Facebook this morning, explaining that thousands are in need of an urgent assistance. This is his quote. <clears throat> he said, I'm telling anyone who will listen, Fallujah is hell on earth. 86,000 women and children, elderly and crippled, on the run from ISIS, most arriving in the last few days. It's 122 degrees Fahrenheit. And water is running out. Whoever you are, whatever you believe, believe this. We are no better than how we treat the poor, the sick, the elderly, the children, that they're not like us people. Some say Fallujians are our enemies, that they are ISIS or sided with ISIS and got what they had coming to them. Fine. Love them anyway. Love your enemies. So as I've read these things, and, and um, I spent a lot of time last week just watching videos, stories of folks that have come over on these boats, folks that have interacted with smugglers, and, and just, I've tried to put myself in their shoes. I've tried to imagine being a father uh, with my family, and being forced to leave, and, uh, and maybe being forced out into a camp where there's just, you're living in a tent, 
You know, a lot of Syrians have gone to Lebanon, and they're on the border, and they're in these camps, and they're there for years and years and years. No school, no job, no hope, unwanted by the country they're in, no idea when they'll get to go home, if ever. Um, that's the life that your kids have, you know. Or maybe you were lucky enough, a family that uh, in Syria had sold their home, and so they took the money that they had and paid these smugglers to, to ship them out, to get them on one of these boats, um, so maybe you're lucky enough to do that. Maybe you're lucky enough that your ship makes it <laughs> to, to one of these islands or gets picked up by the Coast Guard. Then you're in Greece, which is an economic mess uh, itself. And you, again, don't know the language, don't have any job, hope, prospects, nowhere to live, none of that stuff. I'm trying to identify with that. And it's hard to know what to do. And so the first thing that I did last week is I just contacted our board and and said, I think we should do something. <laughs> um, and so we're going to give $1,000 to um, one of the organizations that's assisting uh, folks in, in, in Fallujah that we just talked about. But if, if anybody else wants to join us and donate to that, you're welcome to do that. Um, I also picked up the phone and called the international director at, Go- at Global Orphan Project last week. His name's Trace. And I just began talking to him saying, hey, what are you guys doing in this refugee crisis and uh, he said, you know, actually last month I just got back from Lebanon, which is the country right next to Syria, and met a Christian pastor there. It's a 95% Muslim country, but this pastor um, is, is a Christian uh, doing work there and, um, and specifically serving Syrian children. About 70% of the kids he works with um, are Syrian refugees. So we're going to continue conversations of seeing the ways that we could possibly engage there and just help them out um, with the love of Christ being the church in that situation. So all of this can be pretty overwhelming as we sit here in St. Joe, very distantly removed from those things that are going on, okay? I know that's a reality, but I think it's important for us to have the right posture and the right perspective on this, okay? Because one of the things that I've learned now as being a Christian for almost 30 years is, is this tension that you see in the Bible, you see examples in Scripture where it says things that are very specific that says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? And so, you know, at camps everywhere, at Young Life Camp, the kids just went to, you know, you're telling kids, hey, if you just pray and you receive God into your life, you know, these things will happen to you. You'll have eternal life. But then Jesus also kind of twists things up sometimes, and he says things like he says in Matthew 25, where he says, at the end, <laughs> that I'm going to separate you into two groups. And on this side are going to be the people that when I was thirsty and hungry and naked and in prison, they, they provided for me. And then over here are going to be the people that didn't do that. And so as Christians, it, it creates in me this tension of, man, I better pay attention to that. I better pay attention to Isaiah 58 when it says, this is the kind of worship that I desire to take care of the unjust things, to engage in that, to, to, to care for the poor, the hungry. Like, we are going to be responsible for how we did with that. The kids that are vulnerable families in our community, are we loving them? Are we taking them into our home? Are we trying to build their families up and keep them together? I want to finish this morning with just a, a short little passage in Deuteronomy. If you want to turn your Bibles there, Deuteronomy 15. It's page 173. Deuteronomy 15, starting in verse 11, says this. If anyone is poor among 
your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you. Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. And so that's just the great contrast. With our money, with our time, with our love, are we going to be tight-fisted or open-handed? What's the posture in your spirit in those realms? As we come to the communion table today, I mean, this is the perfect picture and illustration of Christ's being open-handed, right? The power to forgive, the power to redeem life, the power to to grant eternal life, the power to have access to the Father. And he didn't keep those things for himself, right? He opened his hands up and took the nails and granted those things to us as a gift. And so as we enter into this time, this is also another illustration of of Christ. You know, we were the ones who were hungry, and he gave his body. We were the ones who were thirsty, and he gave his blood. We were the ones who were aliens and strangers, and he took us in. And so as we engage, we receive that. In communion, we acknowledge that. We say thank you for that. But we also say back to God as we participate in this, let me be that for others as well. Let me physically give bread to others, but also let me be bread. Let me be life by sharing the word of God to other people. Let me be a home for strangers and those in need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message this morning. We thank you for just hopefully a deeper understanding of your heart. God, there's plenty of of pain and suffering right here in St. Joseph, just a few uh, blocks, streets, houses away from here. Lord, help us to to be the church, to be your hands and feet right here in St. Joseph, to be uh, a church that answers the call, that, that gets ourselves out of our comfortable life and gets messy with the world. God, as we, I mean, it just wrecks me to see those little kids being taken off those boats and life jackets and just the desperateness of those parents sitting out in the desert. It's 122 degrees and their kid is diabetic or needs medicine and doesn't have it. Whatever the case, God, it's just heartbreaking, crushing. And as the church especially as we sit here in this air-conditioned building this morning with full bellies and wondering where we're going to eat for lunch. It's, it's not good that there's that much disparity. And it ought to upset us. And we ought to not be able to walk out of here and go back to our lives without 
taking a hard look at, at our love. And do we love like Christ loved? Because those people in the desert, those people in the boats are you, Jesus. They are you. And they're our opportunity to serve. So speak to our hearts this morning. Use this time of silence before we participate in communion to just um, draw us near to you. Give us vision for what you're calling us to do.